Hello and welcome to the Doctor Who Show presents Star Wars The Last Jedi. I'm Rob. And I'm Dave. And here we are, Dave. We've seen the film and we're going to talk about it. That's right, Rob. It might be a Doctor Who show, but we love a lot more than Doctor Who and we're both fans of Star Wars and... It's a big deal when a Star Wars movie comes out, so let's have a chat. Certainly is, and if anyone is unaware, we did Rogue One around this time last year. That's on our feed. And of course, we do Alternate Galaxies, which are non-Doctor Who episodes as well. So check it all out if this is your first time with us. Yeah, absolutely. So, Rob, I did the midnight screening. You didn't this year. I didn't. No, I'm getting old, Dave. I can't do that sort of thing anymore. Um (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, just logistics were against me. So you went to the midnight screening, then I went to the 9.30pm screening later that day. So I saw it within the first 24 hours of release. So I'm happy about that. No, that's okay. You can keep your fan card. (laughs) Truth be told, though, there were so many adverts before it. By the time the film started, and it's a long film in itself, about two and a half hours, I'm, I'm roughly thinking uh it was after midnight by the time i got out of the cinema so i still had an awfully late night and then worked the next day Uh, yeah that wouldn't shock me uh we were fortunate the cinema we were in started doing the ads at quarter to midnight so we actually started the film only about quarter past midnight and i was home just after three so it wasn't as bad as it could have been oh that's very good because if your ads were anything like mine there was a ton of them Oh, there always is before Star Wars. So, Rob, I think we're going to do our initial spoiler-free thoughts, and then we'll give a spoiler warning, and then we're going to go into a lot more detail. Yes. Who wants to go first with this, Dave? Because we haven't shown our hands to each other yet. Look, I, I saw it first, so I'll go first. Okay. I walked out of The Last Jedi feeling more pumped and excited for the film than I did the last two films, both Rogue One and The Force Awakens. Does that mean it's necessarily a better film? I'm leaning towards yes, but I will have to let it settle in my mind before I really decide that it is better than both of those. Because I've enjoyed both of them, but I think I enjoyed this one more certainly as an experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were some weak points to it, and I want to talk about that whole, you know, perfect versus very good thing in a moment. There were some imperfections to it, but overall I enjoyed the tone. I thought in terms of the cinematography, it is easily the best shot of the Star Wars movies ever. I will make that claim right at the start. Wow. I thought two characters in particular made this movie. Other characters I think were a bit redundant. And I'll talk again shortly in more detail about what I think is Ryan Johnson's vision for this film and how that that all mixes. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some funny moments. Again, I'll, we, we need to expand on the humour in this movie. I think that's an important point to discuss. Yeah. There were some applause moments. There were some great moments. Overall, I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, not perfect, but very, very good. Possibly, possibly edging out both Rogue One and The Force Awakens. Whew. Well, okay. Uh, in response... People overseas had been doing sort of spoiler-free tweets and things because there'd been a US premiere and stuff by the time I was going in. So I had some sort of feeling that people were absolutely raving about this film and saying it's the best film since Empire Strikes Back. I thought, wow, that, that sounds amazing. So these people might be in your camp, Dave. I can't rave about the film. But I can say there were a lot of really great scenes and it's not a bad film at all. But I came out of it feeling a bit, a little bit confused about parts of it, a little bit confused about its direction. 
And I can't put it at this stage ahead of Rogue One. Now, I've only seen it the once, and I think plenty of what I say going forward in this podcast, I'm going to be prefacing it with, I think I need to see it again to really get blah, 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 blah. Or, you know, I I can enjoy a certain scene more. Now that I know what happens, I can sort of sit back and relax more when I'm watching it. So when we get to our final scores, I don't think my final score will be my final score because I need to see it again. But I'm not sure I'm raving as much as you, but I certainly don't think this was a bad film at all. Interesting you say that. I think that this will stand the test of time better than Rogue One. My theory about Rogue One is that it is an awesome experience once, and I think on repeated viewings as years go on, that impact will diminish. Whereas I do think that Last Jedi will stand the test of time in that there are... I mean, look, look, there's a lot in this movie that we can unpack. There's a lot of depth mm. to this movie, a lot of threads in this movie. And that means that as you watch it for the second time, the third time, the tenth time, when we're watching this in 20 years' time, there will still be a lot in this movie that will make us want to watch it again and enjoy it. And I think that's why it will push past Rogue One long term. But I do want to emphasise at this point, one thing that's been really interesting in the reaction and we've spoken about this a bit with Doctor Who, Rob, Mm. is that there is this view that it is either a perfect film or it's not a good film. Yeah. And most films are not perfect. Most films are just pretty good. And I'm very happy to say this film isn't perfect, but it is pretty good. Yeah, I I can go with that, you know, because, again, I I certainly don't think this is a a bad film at all. I just came out of it with with a funny feeling. And I have actually seen a few people say that. So I'm maybe not alone out there. There are people raving about it on the whole, but it has left some people with a funny feeling. I think friend of the show, Paul Schoons, uh, tweeted that he came out of it feeling a bit flat. Yeah, look, interestingly, I went with three other people. Uh, I went with my brother-in-law, who's out from the UK, and he really enjoyed it. Uh, And two other friends were Doctor Who fans, one of whom is a friend of the podcast, Richard Nolan. And Richard, I think, kind of enjoyed it, but had a few hesitations. And our other friend, Michael, he was actually quite down on it and just thought, no, it was just an attempt to emulate Empire. It wasn't that original and it didn't hold together. So there was a very mixed set of views in our our little circle. Well, that's interesting because it certainly does emulate Empire in some ways, which is what a lot of people were expecting it would do because JJ's first film, you know, replicated Star Wars. But there were chunks of Return of the Jedi in this as well. There was definitely a lot of fan service in this movie, and that's another point that I've got to expand upon, and I think we can only expand upon that in our spoiler section. Mm. So we'll uh, we'll hold that. I've got one other general point I want to raise before we do move to our uh, spoiler watershed, if that's okay. Yes. Something that's very interesting about these films is that they are very, very much the visions of individual directors, more than they are a trilogy, I think. So... Force Awakens was very much J.J. Abrams' vision. He worked out the characters that he wanted to play with, he created the universe he wanted to play in, and he gave us very much his vision for what a Star Wars film should be. Ryan Johnson then comes in, and I think he has very much given us his vision for what a Star Wars film should be. And they are slightly different visions. And what that means is there are clearly characters that J.J. created that Johnson has said, I really like that, I'm very curious in them, and I want to play with them some more and really make them the stars of my movie. And that's good because we get, I think, think different emphases in terms of characters in this movie to the first one. There are also, though, I think it's really obvious, 
are aspects of Force Awakens that JJ created, both characters and plot threads that Johnson has decided he actually doesn't want to play with. And so he hasn't played with them nearly as much and put them in the background. And I think that's very, very interesting. And it will be interesting to see how this works out in terms of bringing it all home in the third movie, which is coming out in two years' time. Well, I'll jump in and say in recent times, they've got uh, rid of the proposed director from the third film and JJ is coming back. Yes. So will it be bookended by JJ's vision and this will stick out in the middle, not as a sore thumb, but as something a bit different perhaps? Yes, that's right. Does does JJ take what uh, Johnson has done and expand on that and alter some of his vision to fit that? Or does he, as you say, just go back to his vision and this will seem like a very, very odd movie in the middle when you watch them three in a row in years to come? Mm. Um, and, and, you know, this is a really important point for me. As somebody who is a fan of movies, um, Last Jedi is the 49th movie I've seen in the cinema this year. Wow. So, so I, do, I do like my movies. And the thing that is very, very interesting about the Star Wars franchise is that they do seem to be pumping them out, I genuinely think, too quickly. Mm. A really good film needs a director to sit down with a studio over a period of time work out what their vision is, what the studio's vision is, how that works, how that comes together, and actually take time to develop it. And you're seeing this very much with the DC movies at the moment. Christopher Nolan's come out recently and said the reason why he thinks his movies got a better fan response than the latest DC movies, with the exception of Wonder Woman, is that he took three years to make those movies in many cases. He did like some like three, three movies in seven or eight years. Whereas now they're trying to do a DC movie every year mm. and you just can't do that. You can't develop it properly. You can't work out you know, your, your vision and then plot it out and make it work with a very hard and fast deadline. That's why I think we're seeing these directors fall over. We've seen, I mean, Rogue One had to have a significant uh, reworking done by a new director. We've seen basically the, the Han Solo movie has basically almost gone back to the start. I mean, they're doing mm. huge new work with that. Um, with a new director, and the same thing's happening with Episode Nine with JJ coming back. So I love the idea that we're going to get a Star Wars movie every year, but I wonder if we're going to end up a bit like DC and go, you know what, maybe taking a bit longer to make these movies would, would work better, but maybe I'm talking rubbish because I've really liked this one. No, so- no, I don't think so, because back on the Who Wars podcast when all of this was being planned for the future, I was commenting that I think it might have been a bit too much. I, I get the I get the the message though. Disney's paid a lot of money, and they're like, "We've got Star Wars. Let's start cranking them out." Thankfully, they haven't tried to do a saga film every year. That would just be crazy. And they're padding them out with a Rogue One and a Han Solo, and you know they're going to do a Kenobi. I'm quite sure. And this film got pushed back six months too. Uh, it was going to be released much earlier in the year, so they did spend more time on it than they originally thought. But it's still a pretty cracking pace when you think of the original Star Wars films being three years apart, exactly 77, 80 and 83. Thankfully, though, they will stop the saga after this uh, for a number of years before they come back. And they'll inevitably do, you know, a 10, 11 and 12. But they will have a gap, and I think that will give them some breathing space there. So... 
I think it'll work out okay. You know, they've they've started on this path. They're going to finish it on the same time frame. It may be a little rushed, but then I think there'll be some breathing space. So I'm not too worried about it. That said, I'm not as much of a Star Wars fan today as I was five years ago, or particularly 10 or 20 years ago. I'm still very much interested in it. I'm just not fanish about it anymore. Yeah, and, and I think that the Han Solo movie has definitely given the studio a few lessons and the fact that they haven't announced what's coming up as the next non-saga movie is interesting i think they are taking the time to work out what they want to do and if, if that's the case that's that's i think a very good lesson uh one that dc could certainly learn a lot from yeah certainly no official announcements but i'm pretty sure it'll be kenobi <laughs> that's certainly the talk yeah well shall we unwrap the sealed section dave Let's do it. So spoilers from here on. Detailed spoilers. You don't want to listen to this if you haven't seen the movie. Please come back after you've seen the movie. That's right. If you've not seen it and you're listening to us and you think, hey, these guys know what they're talking about. This is really entertaining, but you haven't seen the film. Please, please stop. <laughs> Gosh, there's some things to talk about, Dave. Yeah, there absolutely are. In my opinion, two characters held this movie up. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you who they are and then see if you agree with me. Okay. They're both Skywalkers, so Luke and Kylo Ren. Interesting. Okay. I, I think this was their movie. What, what do you think? Luke and Kylo Ren, I think, did quite well, and their standoff at the end was particularly good. Yeah, I think that will be very much part of the, the movie that lives uh, in, in history. That will be something that we will come back to. I think it was very, very good. Uh, look, Mark Hamill blew me away with his acting in this. I've never been the, you know, I've always liked Mark Hamill as a person and an actor, and he's always been, you know, had fun. He's turned up and played himself on stuff like Jane Silent Bob Strikes Back, and, you know, I, I, I like that about him. But in this, I thought he was a genuinely very, very good actor and gave a really good performance. And Adam Driver as Ben Solo or Kylo Ren, again, gave an amazingly good performance. I think this was their movie. This was about the dynamic between the uncle and the nephew. Yeah, well, on Adam Driver, I'd say he certainly wasn't as emo as his last outing. He had a little temper tantrum at the start where he smashed his helmet up after being told he was basically a child in a mask and, you know, would never live up to be like Vader. Uh, So, yeah, I particularly liked him. And, yes, Mark Hamill, has there ever been, you know, a bigger case of typecasting in the world? I think he's always been a better actor than people assume, but he's just never been given the chances. And over the years, he's just been given cheesy roles to basically play himself. You know, ha, it's the guy who was Luke Skywalker 20, 30 years ago, etc. Whereas I think he can act. And I think around the time of Star Wars, he was trying to like do stage and all sorts of things and show he could act, but it just never stuck with the public. And he just never had the chances. You know, if he hadn't been given more chances, I think he could have, you know, surprised people before now. But yes, a very... I won't say surprising, but a very good performance for mine. I I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I did as well. And again, this, this comes back to my point about Johnson clearly wanted to play with this dynamic and he saw the potential in Kylo's character. And, and I think it, it was written better and given a lot more depth. And I suspect that as we, again, when we see this as a finished trilogy, that growth of Kylo from petulant child through to stepping up as an adult and taking what he sees as his place in the universe. And then I think that we'll, we'll see a payoff of that. I don't know what sort of payoff, but I think that actually will look like a really, really good character arc. Um, perhaps one of the best character arcs that we've actually seen in Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. And look, I'll, I'll rip the Band-Aid off right here because we are in the spoiler section. 
As far back as The Force Awakens where they killed off Han, I came out of that and said to my wife, you know what, they might kill off one of the the big three in each of these films. And she said, oh, that'd be something. And I said, yeah, but I think I've got a funny feeling they might. And, And here it was, they killed off Luke. They did, and I thought that was incredibly well done. As I've said, the cinematography in this movie I thought was excellent. The direction was excellent. And this was particularly the case with all of the stuff with Luke, whether it was him training, him on the island, the flashback sequences, and certainly the stuff at the end, and certainly his death scene. I thought that was just wonderfully well shot. And it was incredibly poignant without being, I thought, ridiculously melodramatic or let's try and make the audience cry. It was just, let's make the audience feel something. Let's make this a poignant moment, but let's treat the audience with respect as well. I really like the balance there. This is the first of the moments where I need to see the film again because everything happened so fast. They had their duel. You sort of then got the the sense of what was happening, that he was actually a force projection and not actually there. That to- yes. That totally pulled the rug from under me. Like, I could see that he was a younger Luke. He had shorter hair. He'd used just for men on his beard, had a darker beard. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> I knew something was up. I knew something wasn't quite right, but I didn't expect in a million years that he was a projection. Even when Kylo stuck his lightsaber through him and nothing happened, I thought, wow, this is some force trick, but I thought he was still physically there. I didn't think he was still back on the island. And then we cut to him on the island. He's shaky. He's woozy. He lies down. I thought, oh, first of all, he looked at the suns, of course. I thought, I think he's going to die. And the music was happening and he was crying. And I thought that's probably Mark Hamill crying for real because he knows this is the end of Luke Skywalker's life, you know, sunset representing his death, etc., etc. I was like a record slightly out of its groove. I wasn't quite in the moment. I could see what was happening. I could see this was one of my major childhood heroes. Han Solo was always my number one, but Luke, hey, he was pretty close. I could see he was about to die and I didn't feel it like I thought I should have felt it, but I think I'll do that next time I watch it. Yeah, I can understand that. I, again, knew that something was going on, not just because he was groomed slightly better, but he had the lightsaber. That's right, which had been destroyed. Yeah, so I knew that there was something going on here. Uh, I, I, I did feel the moment, I did feel the poignancy of it, and particularly the way that it was shot with the twin sun setting. I think that was a very deliberate echo of that that wonderful scene in Star Wars where you first hear the Force theme, Luke looks out to the distance at the twin suns sitting over Tatooine. There was a deliberate echo there, and I just thought that was really, really well done. And it did work for me. I I get why it didn't work for you. There was a lot to unpack there. But I suspect that with time, this will actually be a very poignant moment and one that fans will remember well. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, just because it didn't hit me the first time doesn't mean it won't next time. And in fact, now... Even, I was sitting at work, actually, the next day and thinking about and thinking that scene in episode four, he looks at the twin sons, that's the start of his journey, and then we bookend it here with the end of his journey. That's really powerful emotional stuff, and it's just beautiful, and the music's there, and oh, gosh, why didn't I feel it more in the cinema? I was almost slapping myself in the face, like, you know, you stupid, stupid guy. Why didn't you feel it more at the time? <laughs> I think next time I will. I think I was just... There had just been so much happening in the film, and maybe that's something to start teasing out, how this film doesn't really have a beginning, middle, and end like other Star Wars films. It's like, here's something happening, here's something else happening, here's something else happening, here's something else, blah, 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 blah. Like, the plot to me, Dave, although I can maybe sit back and start to tease out 
a middle, beginning and end. There is so much in it. It's so dense. Did you feel it was dense? It is definitely a very dense film. It has definitely got a lot of plot strands and threads that run through it. And there's a lot of characters that they've had to deal with. And I think that is a problem this film has is it is it has inherited a lot of characters that I don't think the director wants. And we'll, we'll talk about that. I, mean, I know. I do think, though, it did have a very clear, not start, middle and end. I agree it didn't have those. But there was very clearly a first act, a second act and a third act in terms of the first act was the setting up of the world, what was going on. The second act was all the stuff about um, disappearing off to the casino world, what was going on on both the ships while that was happening, uh, the confrontations. And then there was the third act, which is basically everything from the characters getting back all into the same place, uh, Snook being killed. I said there are going to be spoilers. We have to say that. <laughs> uh, but I think that is the turning point. You then get that third act, which is how the characters then go in that last part, including the battle on the salt planet. So I think there were very clear movements to this this film. But you're right. They're not traditional beginning, middle and ends. Mm. We could go in so many directions like the film uh, at this juncture in the podcast. Well, we, we've, we've spoken about the two characters that I really loved, and you, you've agreed they were both good. What were the key characters that you want to talk about, Rob? I think Poe Dameron stepped up to the uh, the mark, Oscar Isaac. Uh, I think he's... In, we had the sense he was like a Han Solo kind of character in The Force Awakens, but he didn't get a lot of screen time. Whereas here, he had a lot of screen time, was doing a lot of stuff, and even led that mutiny on the ship uh, against the new character, Vice Admiral Holdo. I've always liked the Poe Dameron character, maybe more so the idea of the Poe Dameron character because we hadn't had so much of him. And now we do, and it's like, yeah, I, I like this guy a lot. Interesting. He didn't resonate as much for me. I certainly thought the performance was good. I thought the plot that he had was good. Uh, I didn't think it was a highlight for me. It was just a very good plot. It wasn't a wow plot. Okay. Uh, who's the character you'd like to pick up on? I want to pick up on them, not because I thought they were amazing, but I think we need to talk about Ray. We do need to talk about Ray, and maybe I've got different thoughts to you. So The Force Awakens was Ray's picture. This was Ray's story. Ray was the star. Daisy Ridley was by far and away the breakout star actress of that movie. I think we can agree on that. Absolutely. Uh, I suspect that whether it was a deliberate choice in terms of theme or just a preference of the director... Kylo became the new character that was the real standout character of this film. That's fine. We, we had different focuses. I thought that Daisy Ridley gave a perfectly good performance. I'm not knocking her performance at all, but I was far less engaged with Ray in this movie than I was in the first one. I thought her plot was fairly straightforward. I don't think she had a lot to do. She was really basically playing off Luke and off Mark Hamill. And, and I think that Mark Hamill's performance did stifle her a little bit. Mm. Uh, which, which is, not, again, not a criticism. I think if, if you are a relatively new actress playing against Mark Hamill playing Luke Skywalker, there's going to be a slight imbalance in terms of that. I, As I say, I'm not knocking Ray's performance, but I think it was a, definitely a step back in terms of my interest, in terms of my engagement, than in The Force Awakens. I think so too. I came out of The Force Awakens thinking, what a great new character, how well played. Oh, just amazing i am actually even going to criticize her performance a bit in this film dave i think okay. some of her performance was very wooden um in places it almost felt like she was reading off a cue card off screen 
and just delivering the lines like this. Uh, you know, when she was talking to Luke and saying how he needs to, you know, come back and do this and do that. At times, it just felt so wooden and monotonous. And I thought, what's what's going on here? Is the director not picked up on this? Again, I'll say this might be another case of me needing to see the film again. But I did sense that she she just seems so wooden in places. In other places, she was absolutely fine. She's the Ray we know and love, and she got to do a few good things, fine. Uh, but in general, yes, I agree, it's a huge step back from The Force Awakens for her, and for me personally, some of her lines just, ugh, why are you delivering it like that? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with you on that. I, I suspect I have perhaps forgiven some of her more quiet, shall we say, performances, because when she was good, she was really, really good. And some of the really emotional scenes that she did have, I think, carried her performance through. But no, no, I can't, I can't disagree. I mean, I've said that her performance was less engaging for me. So yeah, I, I can't disagree. How how we interpret that is perhaps you know individual taste or what we've taken. So mm. I, I think we're sort of in agreement in broad senses on that one. That said, I still think that she will get a very key part in the final one, and even more so given that. JJ is back to direct it. I think he very much liked the character of Ray. He, you know, developed the character of Ray. He directed her well and clearly got a very good performance out of Daisy Ridley. So I think we will see more of that in the next JJ film. Oh, definitely. I mean, The Last Jedi is now dead, so it's really left to Ray to carry the can, uh, irrespective of whether JJ's back or not. And I think the fact she will be carrying the can and JJ's back will put her front and centre once again. Yep, I agree. All right, I want to talk about Leia. I'll be very interested to hear your thoughts on this because you you grew up with Star Wars in a way that I didn't. Okay. So I'll be very interested to hear your thoughts on this. It's a game of two halves, Dave. I, I was delighted with her performance in general because there's this sense that over the years she hasn't acted as much and I think she even had a lot of anxiety going into The Force Awakens about whether she could even act anymore. And she did all right. Her scenes in that film are okay. In this film, I felt she was quite good and believable, and I really, really liked it. Of course, the elephant in the room going in is knowing that Carrie sadly passed away after filming this film. How are they going to deal with it in the film? Because, you know, they wouldn't have filmed a death scene for her or a departure that we knew of. There'd been talk of her doing great things in the third film, which kind of confirmed that she was coming back. And so very early on in the film, when her ship got hit and we all thought it was going to be Kylo Ren delivering the blow from the trailer, but it wasn't. He pulled back and it was two TIE fighters that did it. She gets blasted into space. I thought, holy hell, this is how they're going to kill her off. They've used some of the footage. They've killed her off like this and it fits into the film. And, you know, whatever she filmed for the rest of the film maybe isn't there anymore. But then I thought, no, I've heard about her doing scenes with Luke and she hasn't had a scene with Luke. These are the problems, Dave, of, you know, me, even as a, a, a lapsed fan sitting in the film, I'm trying to piece together what's going to happen based on my real world knowledge instead of just it, watching the exactly, film. Exactly, yes, yes. Uh, and then comes the moment I absolutely hated where she somehow survived the vacuum of space then came to, then used the force to fly Christopher Reeve, Superman style, through space, back to the ship. And I thought, I think Star Wars has almost jumped the shark for me at this moment. This is not right. This is not good. That was silly. Leia isn't trained in the force, never wanted to be. That was the whole point of her character, that she was quite different to Luke. She took a different path, even though they have the same genes. Ugh, yuck. Okay. There's a lot that I need to uh, 
respond to in that. The floor is yours. Uh, let me say, I certainly agree with you that a problem in watching this film was that we are very aware of the real world stuff that's going on, and in particular, Carrie Fisher's death. So there was a part of me that, because I haven't looked for the, the, the details in this film and have tried to stay as spoiler-free as possible, I wasn't sure whether they had just left her performance as it was or whether there would be some sort of a re-edit or a change to uh, kill her character in this movie so that it was there was a sort of a, a dramatic full stop to, to echo life's full stop. When she did have that moment where she was sucked out into the vacuum of space, there was a part of me that thought, oh, they have killed her off and they've done it really early. That's quite a shock. But yeah, okay, that was quite well done. And I agree with you, the floating through space stuff was a bit, oh, come on. Mm. I, I didn't think that worked. Um, I, I, I didn't think it was a jump the shark moment, but I, I agree with you, I didn't think it worked. In terms of her performance... I will say that I think it was a very, very good performance from Carrie Fisher. Very good performance. However, I never really quite felt that it was Princess Leia. When Harrison Ford came back in Force Awakens, he he stepped into Han Solo's shoes and was Han Solo again, unquestionably. Mark Hamill did a very good job of not being the same character, but being a really logical and understandable and, and believable Luke at the end of his life, Luke after 30 or 40 years. I, I, I fully thought this was the same character. I didn't quite feel that the Princess Leia we got here quite gelled with the Princess Leia we had 30 years ago. Okay. I can see that. I I, I get you on that. Uh, I guess to me I was believing in the character in terms of how I was looking at Luke too, that he, he had moved on and he was a different in a different place. And that she was too. And one tiny, tiny little moment that sold it for me. Um, there's a scene where um, they're under attack and she pulls out a blaster and starts shooting as well. And she's part, as, as I recall it in my head, she's part of like a number of people on screen doing it. But just the fact that she whipped out that blaster and started firing away, I thought, yeah, there's that spirit, there's that spunk of Princess Leia, even though it's maybe that spirit and spunk that was missing in general in the performance. And is, th- is that kind of what you're not seeing, that sort of snappiness and snark and spunk maybe? Yeah, maybe. It's very hard to put my finger on it. I, I emphasize I don't mind because it was a very good performance so it made the movie work and I'm, I'm not complaining. I still enjoyed it. I just don't think that she captured her character as much as the others did. And maybe it's not her fault so much as George Lucas's fault because... Perhaps Luke and Han were better written and more three-dimensional characters than Princess Leia was. Mm, that's fair. That's maybe fair. there's more. There's more for them to latch on to than than they had for Carrie Fisher. I'm not sure. Yeah, even in the extended universe novels uh, that I read all through the '90s and uh, early 2000s, she was always yeah, still even played second fiddle to the guys in those. Yeah, well, she in the most of the novels, she's the one who went on and became a, a bureaucrat, a politician, and sort of did very perfunctory things as opposed to going off and having the adventures that the boys got to. So, yeah, maybe there is a bit of that. Yeah, and then they have the twins, Jason and Jaina, and, and once they're on the scene, it's about what the kids are doing, and then they have their third kid, Ben, and it's about what he's doing, and then as they grow up, the stories are more about them because that's kind mm. of interesting. It's, it's interesting to see people growing up, and Leia is in the background again. But, um, yeah. Speaking of the scene where the bridge of the ship is blown up, Akbar. Yeah. 
So they panned across. He had a couple of, couple of lines. I thought, okay, here's a Mon Calamari. It could be Admiral Akbar. I'm not sure. They didn't make that clear, I don't think. I thought he was and the then, wrong colour for Akbar. Yeah. like like, And this is the problem when they do CGI characters for what used to be you know, puppets or animatronics. It never quite gels. It didn't with Akbar. And then it was all blown up. And sort of half an hour later, they said, oh, yeah, by the way, Admiral Akbar's dead. Mm-hmm. And I thought, come on, you can't just kill the guy with a line. That's Admiral Bloody Akbar. <laughs> yeah, again, like you, I thought it was just a generic Mon Calamari. I thought his skin was far too dark to be Admiral Akbar, who, who in my mind is more of a reddy kind of colour. Mm, mm. And uh, I, yeah, I was a bit surprised by that line too. I, I, I agree. Yeah, minor point though, minor point. Yeah, very minor. Who's the character you want to talk about? Uh, I think we need to have a conversation about Finn. Yes, I'm looking at my notes. Yes, we do. I said at the very start of this that there were characters that I suspect Ryan Johnson was less interested in playing with, and I had Finn very much at the top of my list when I made that comment. I thought Finn was very badly served in this movie. I think that his character is the weak point of the movie. I think his plot thread is the one-week plot thread of the movie. Uh, John Boyega gave a very good performance with what he was given. And John Boyega is a very good actor. Uh, side note, I saw the movie Detroit a couple of months ago where he was in that. That is a brilliant performance from him. Brilliant performance. But here we get him. First of all, the stuff with him wanting to escape in his gay capsule, I didn't buy. I think if this was the start of Force Awakens, yes. But after all he went through in Force Awakens, I didn't buy him want, want, wanting to run away. I think that was clearly just there to introduce him to the other character. Rose, was it? Yeah, Rose. And frankly, the whole plot of Finn and Rose bugger off to the space casino planet to do a lot of getting locked up and escaping and getting locked up again just to get to the Imperial ship and get locked up again to do something that actually didn't happen or matter or was needed anyway. I thought you could cut their entire subplot out there and the movie would be no worse off for it and probably a tighter movie for it. And during that escape at one point rode those big horse things and it just reminded me of Obi-Wan Kenobi on the Big Lizard back in the prequels. And I thought, oh my God, we're treading on prequel territory here. I'm not sure how I feel about this. Okay, I didn't make that connection. Uh, I Yeah, I, uh, yeah I, I, I thought that entire plot thread, I could have done without it. And, and this is the problem that the movie has. It has inherited so many characters. It didn't have enough plot for all of them. So they had to find something for them to do I don't think it was needed. I don't think it worked. Uh, the only good thing that came out of it was the orphan kids. I thought that it was a lovely little scene with them and then their scene at the end. So it almost is worth it for them. But no, sorry, you could remove Finn from this movie and the movie would be no worse off. And I think that's a shame given how much John Boyega gave and how much Finn got in The Force Awakens. Okay, I think a few more good things came out of it. I agree completely with you about how you could cut it out of the film and it wouldn't matter and all that sort of stuff. But a few good things came out of it. One of them is Rose. I thought Rose was a really interesting character and a really different character for them to slip into proceedings. Yes, she was interesting. I think that had this film had less characters, I would have noticed her more. I certainly liked her and I liked the performance Given that there's so much going on, I probably didn't quite have the the brain capacity to really focus on new characters as much. So I think she suffered for that. But no, no, she was good. She was good. Mm -hmm. Okay. Another good thing I I enjoyed in this sequence was when 
she realized it was Finn. She's like, oh my God, you're Finn, you know, hero of the resistance. Oh, wow. And she's, she is fangirling. It's, it's like a parody of fangirling. And <laughs> he sort of struck that slightly heroic pose and went, may the force be with you. <laughs> <laughs> I yes. laughed out loud at that moment. Yeah. Most of the cinema did where I saw it. And I think this might lead us into a discussion of the comedy next, but the, the yeah. other thing I liked, I liked the character of DJ, Benicio Del Toro's character, just the weird ticks and quirks he had in the performance and the way at the end where he gets paid off and you think, ah, oh, no, he's going to come back and save him. He's actually a good guy. And he didn't. He was gone. <laughs> I thought, wow, that's an interesting sort of character. That's a different sort of character for my mind. Yeah, no, that, that 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 is very good. And I said nothing good came of this plot thread. Maybe I was mistaken because you're right. His character, look, he wasn't needed in the film. No. But but it did add a bit of depth to the film. As I, you say, it was a very good performance. I did like the fact that he was corruptible and he was irredeemable. And, and, and I think that's something that has been missing from a lot of Star Wars. I've made the point in the past, and I'll just go off on a very quick tangent here, Rob. Okay. I've made the point in the past that the biggest fault I have with the Star Wars saga full stop is we never really appreciate why the empires, the bad guys and the rebels are the good guys other than a bit of sort of comic book villainy. We never really understand what it's like to live as a citizen of the empire, how the empire works. Is it a corrupt system? Is it an oppressive system? Or are there billions of people who really don't care whether there's a chancellor or a emperor they kind of get on with their lives and it's kind of irrelevant to them. Mm. Uh, to the point that, let's face it, in Star Wars, Luke is Luke's aspiration is to go off and join the Empire, to go off and join Starfleet. Yeah, he wants to go to the Academy. Yeah, so there's no sort of sense of these guys are so bad and oppressive and we hate them. It's, yeah, I want to go off and join them. So Well, they're the legitimate government. <laughs> well, well, that's right. So I like the fact that we do see a bit more of this corruptibility in the society, we got a bit of it in Rogue One, and we got a bit of it here, and that, to me, just starts to paint the idea of a galaxy where there, there is this corruptness in there, there is this evil in there, and maybe you know people do live a slightly more dangerous life because of the way that the, the system works. So I, I, I do like that. As I say, it's a tangent. I come back. Yes, it was a good performance, and yes, I think that yeah, that that's really what I've got to say. It was good. All right, there are a few other characters like Snoke, Yoda, uh, Vice Admiral Holdo that we could talk about, but we, we started talking about the comedy, so maybe we could veer off onto that for a moment and and just talk about, well, I'm going to say it, how different the comedy was in this film. It was almost contemporary, almost internet-like, meme-like humour to me, starting, I think, with uh, Poe Dameron trolling, essentially, General Hux. Like, oh, I'm still waiting for General Hux. You know, how do you spell it? You know, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. something out of Family Guy. Yeah, I, I, I like the humour for the most part. I think that it's good. Um, you know, the, the original trilogy has got humour in it. It's got wonderful humour in it. It is very 1970s humour, though, and I don't have a problem with the fact that a movie made in 2017 has a more modern movie-style sense of humour. don't have a problem with that at all. There were some genuinely wonderful laugh-out-line moments. You mentioned the one with Finn about May the Force Be With You. Uh, the moment where Luke throws the lightsaber over his shoulder, which you're just not expecting at all. I couldn't believe when that happened, this sacred, solemn moment from the first film gets turned on its head. Uh, yes. Uh, some of the looks that Mark Hamill gives a couple of times, like those just asides, are wonderfully done. 
uh, the moment when he comes out of all of that blaster fire and just you know bl- brushes that little speck off his cloak. You know, I thought they were wonderful, humorous moments, and you know, really, really well done. The one negative that I have is there were, I think, a few forced moments where I could imagine the studio executive sitting down, watching the movie, and going, "You know what? We haven't had a laugh beat for a good ten minutes. Put in a line there." Mm. There were a few of those, I'm afraid. Or put in a cutesy animal for Chewbacca to yell at, because he does that in every film. Yeah, yeah. There were a few of those little moments of what I just felt was executive interference, forcing the humour. Where the humour came naturally, it was brilliant. I love it. I think it's absolutely right for Star Wars. A couple of them were a bit forced, though. And But that's, let's face it, that's movies today. Yeah, I, I can go with that, because I agree there were some moments that were just so funny, and they didn't feel forced or bad at all but it did at times just go a little overboard and I thought mm, did we need that you know heck I can say did we need about half an hour of the film overall <laughs> but we've already sort of touched on that yeah and and related to that uh what I call the applause moment yes so this this is something I don't know how many of our listeners are aware of a YouTube channel called Red Letter Media but they do a lot of film analysis and they've done some brilliant Star Wars analysis going back Oh, 10 years or so, really, really in-depth, quite funny and insightful Star Wars analysis. And they talk about one of the problems with modern Star Wars being applause moments, moments that actually don't really sit in the film that well, but are simply designed to make the audience sit there and go, wow, that was awesome, clap, 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 I feel really good about this film, Yeah, in the place of plot. Now, there were applause moments in this that I thought were genuinely earned were absolutely brilliant, and and you know they they weren't that they weren't forced um, stuff like the confrontations between Kylo and Snoke, Kylo and Ray, Kylo and Luke. I thought all those confrontations were great. Mm. Uh, the moment where Holder does the light speed ram of the cruiser, that was an amazing moment. Something we'd never seen before though in Star Wars, and something I've seen some fans saying. I didn't think that was actually possible because once you jump to light speed, you disappear. You're not physically moving in our space. Yeah, no, no. I think it has always been reasonably well established in Star Wars lore that light speed is simply going incredibly fast. And that's why they need to calculate exactly how they go because they can't afford to hit anything when they're going that fast. And I think we, we, we saw that with the ships at the start. And I thought it was a great moment. Again, just at the start, you're going, how's this movie going? Where's it going? What's it going to be? And suddenly, boom, boom, boom those Star Destroyers just come out of light speed and smash into the into the screen. I thought that was wonderful. Mm. So I, I always assume that you know, light speed actually just was travelling in real space, but very, very fast. So I thought they were wonderful applause moments. They were really, really good. Again, though, and this is a, a, a problem with a lot of modern movies, particularly expensive movies, I could see the studio executive going, we haven't had an applause moment for 10 minutes. Mm. Give, us, give, us, give us something to make the audience go, yeah, woo! <laughs> yes and occasionally like the humour they were forced uh, you see that in a lot of movies as I say I'm not going to mark the movie down for it but we have to say they were there and yeah, yeah didn't always work alright let's swing back because you mentioned some of the confrontations there and we've talked about uh, Kylo and Luke for example but Ray and Kylo or perhaps more specifically what starts at Kylo and Snoke were you surprised that this character, who was so mysterious in the first film, then brought into this film? We thought, oh, we might get to learn a lot more about him. He might sort of start to explain things. 
uh, he just gets cut in half and that's the end. <laughs> we don't know much about him still. Yes, and that was perhaps my highlight for the movie because there was so much in that scene that I thought was absolutely brilliant. It was brilliant because it was a surprise. We'd all assumed that Snoke was going to be the equivalent in this of what the Emperor was last time. He was going to be the big bad for the trilogy. Defeating him would probably be the denouement of the whole trilogy. So as Kylo is slowly turning that lightsaber and Snoke's giving all this stuff and he's taunting him and he's telling him to snap down Ray, and you start to realise what Kylo's doing, I thought, wow, they've genuinely surprised me, they've genuinely shocked me, they've pulled the rug from out of me, and that's a great thing for a movie to do. I was really impressed by that, and I'm particularly impressed because of the way that it just evolved Kylo's character of him realising that, yeah, he does need to step up if he wants to achieve his ambitions and do what he wants to do in his mind, and it said so much about the character and it allowed Kylo to now actually become the big bad and step up. He's now the new supreme leader or whatever the title is. Mm. It's supreme leader, isn't it? It is. Yeah, so he's the new supreme leader. He's now, you know, as you say, he's he's stepped away from childish things. He's destroyed his mask. He's still got all of the temper and all of the insecurity, but he's now got all the power. Mm. And oh. I think that's a wonderful twist for the films to take. I thought that was a brilliant scene brilliantly played, brilliantly shot, uh, possibly my highlight of the movie. I, I was reminiscing about the throne room scenes from Jedi at that time, which are my favourite scenes in the original trilogy. Okay, two things to say here. I agree that it pulled the rug, and that's always fun when that happens, you know, particularly if you, you think about... I wasn't particularly spoiled on this film going into it, but I still would be thinking about it and so on, and for, for the rug to be pulled is, is just delightful. But... I'm still disappointed we don't get to know more about him. There had been probably half a dozen good rumours about who he could have been, and some of them held some real weight, and I thought this could be really interesting and it could tie into how Ray was uh, created and and so on and, and who is Ray and all of this stuff, but it didn't happen. The other thing I'll mention just briefly, though, is the set itself. I understand what they're trying to go for with just that minimalist red look. But did it look cheap to you, like they were on a soundstage and they'd spent maybe fifty pounds on the on the set? <laughs> uh, I see what you're saying, but no, to be honest, I I totally bought it. Okay, interesting. I I think I would have liked something a bit more elaborate, maybe industrial going on. Just the um, just that pure redness. It was just like oh, they got a white soundstage and lit it with red lights or something. I I I didn't quite like it. No, okay, look, that, that's fair enough, but I bought it. I, I want to expand on the point you made about Snook, and look, let, let's face it, there'll be a TV special or a comic book or a novel or something that will be you know, the tale of Snoke. Yeah. I would have liked a little bit more universe building, though, as you say, whether it's about Snoke himself or just who is this this First Order? Um, because we, we know that, okay, the Emperor was killed, Vader was killed back in 983, we kind of assume then that the Rebel Alliance would reform the New Republic like they did in the, the books. But we really actually have no idea of what did happen. And maybe it simply was that the Empire very quickly converted into the First Order and the Rebels never really won. We know they had some sort of a government, but it wasn't on Coruscant. Mm. Yeah, it, the, was, it was off somewhere else. So The new canon has sort of changed a lot from what those original books said. And I haven't been reading the new, new books to know 
anything really. So my questions are like, this guy can clearly manipulate the force. He's like slamming Kylo down on his face at one point. That was brutal. You know, so he's a force user. He's kind of deformed, like one eye is going this way and another eye is going the other way. He seems to be missing part of his jaw. How did that happen? You know, so many questions. And in the end, he just, at least as far as the films go, I agree there could be a book. But for the film viewer, it's like, oh, I would have liked to have known a bit more about him. Yeah, and I wonder how much that's just us as fans being a little bit greedy, whereas to the normal cinema goer, he was just the bad guy. And 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 I'm I'm you know look I'm I'm being a little bit angry about this, and I can kind of dismiss it because it was such a great moment, and I think it did twist the films and will make the films better. So maybe we as you know fans who like to categorize and have backstory and everything. Are overthinking this. In the same way, I just want to make another tangential point. I think a lot of fans overthought the backstory of Ray. Mm. I think that what was delivered about Ray's backstory here, and I think we can take it probably at face value at this point. I wondered if it, it was a lie. Look, look, it could be. I took it at face value, but I, I certainly, in the back of my mind, acknowledge that it could have been a lie and, and, and a deception to manipulate it. But I, I, I think I can take it at face value. Because it really did, to me, absolutely resonate. There's absolutely no reason why Ray should be anything other than just a random person who is sensitive to the Force. I think her backstory works like that. I think she's actually a better character like that. I'm far more interested in the idea of some random, ignored slave girl from the middle of nowhere becomes a Jedi than, oh, she's somebody's grandmother's sister's relative no i think that's all a load of wank Mm. i really like what they did with ray here i know a lot of fans are disappointed by that the only reason they're disappointed is that they have built up ray's backstory or what they wanted and you can't blame the movie because they imagined stuff that wasn't there yeah like i mean one of my original thoughts was oh look she's been at the jedi temple when it's been destroyed and her parents may have been there, maybe they were Jedi and they've spirited her away, etc, etc. It's now been shown that that temple was a fairly small operation. He only had a few Jedi there and they seemed to be fairly young people. He was teaching a bunch of young people. So it wasn't like groups of older Jedi having kids and all this sort of stuff going on. So that kind of poo-poos what what I thought about what might have been happening there. I think so. And I will be curious to know if we ever find out what happened to the other trainees that went with Kylo. I assume he just killed them, Anakin style, maybe. Why would he not just kill them on the planet? Why take them with him? Uh, good question. I'm not expecting you to have the answer. I'm just, Luke could have just said he killed all the other trainees and buggered off. Given that Luke explicitly said he killed some, took others, I wonder if there's something that's going to come out of that. Maybe. Maybe. Well, look, speaking of Jedi, let's briefly touch on Yoda. Were you excited to see him back, even though he didn't quite look like he should? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, look, he definitely didn't look like he should. He looked really weird. It was a lovely moment. Uh, It was a fan moment. It was definitely fan wank, uh, but it was a lovely moment. Yeah, my my big takeaways were, for most of it, I was thinking, he doesn't look like this. Guys, we're in... (laughs) in 2017 where we can model anything perfectly why does he look like that ah and i was going crazy about that and then his interaction with luke i thought was quite fun 
he he was trying to be mischievous, but almost came across as sort of like an evil spirit almost. And I almost thought, is this some kind of deception? Is it really Yoda when he like calls down thunder from the sky to destroy the tree and he's cackling and, you know, all that sort of stuff. It came across as a bit more sinister than I than I expected. And I know Yoda is like a fun, like William Hartnell in Doctor Who, he's, he's often giggling and chuckling and doing things. But um, uh, I, I found it very weird and I wondered how a force ghost could call down lightning like that, but maybe that's another topic for another day. Uh, no, I bought into it all. I thought it was very good. It reminded me of the Yoda we first met in Empire rather than the Yoda we perhaps saw more of in the prequel, so I liked that. Mm-hmm. Do you think Luke was mimicking that kind of fun Yoda in another laugh-out-loud moment where Daisy's reaching out and he tickles the ends of her fingers with that stick and says, can you feel it? That's the Force. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was fun and, and sort of reminded me of how Yoda was a playful teacher. It, it, it was, and this is perhaps going to take me on to my next point, it, it was a very lovely reference to the old films, whilst doing something a bit different. So we didn't get a repeat of the Yoda training Luke stuff from Empire, but we did get the the, the sensibilities and the tone and a few little echoes of that, but done in a new and original way, which I like. And I think there was a lot of that in this film. There were a lot of moments where if you're a real fan of the original movies, you could go, that reminds me of this. So the, 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 the tree that Ray goes into, the way that that was shot when she first goes in there to discover something was very clearly an echo of Luke going into the cave in Empire on Dagobah. Mm. As, as I said earlier, the, the, the shots of the twin sons. There were all these sort of little filmic references to the original that I still think were part of a new plot. And in particular, the way a lot of the music was done, there were all these little musical keys uh, Yoda appears and you just get the, the the vaguest hint of the Yoda theme coming over there. Mm. There were moments in the throne room with Snoke where you just got the vaguest hint of the Empress theme in there. There were the, all these little visual and musical stings that I thought allowed fans to really feel as though this was a Star Wars film. It was referencing and homaging the original movies uh, while still doing its own thing. There were a couple of moments I thought just got a little bit too much like fan service, mm. a little bit too far, but mostly I thought it was very, very tactfully and tastefully done. Speaking of the music, do you think the the theme music relied a lot on the old themes? Like The Force Awakens, where I was waiting for some new piece of music to really stand out and hit me, like, oh, surely they've got some memorable you know, theme for Ray, or surely there'll be some battle with a, you know, something as memorable as, you know, from like Empire or something like that. Uh, no, there wasn't again here. It seems that John Williams are just playing background music and then once in a while he'd be like, oh, there's a character I know. I'll uh, play their old theme for a moment. You know, is that me being too cynical? I, I, I don't know. I think that this is my first time I'm going to go, I need to see it again because... There was so much going on in the movie, I perhaps didn't notice the music, or I perhaps didn't notice the new music that was there. I certainly noticed the old stuff because it triggered memories and it was recognisable. I, I think that when I go back and see it a second time and have more time to take in all of that texture, maybe we'll both see more new music in there. Maybe, like, maybe it was there, we just didn't pick up on it. Or, or maybe you're right, and it, it was a bit of a John Williams by numbers. Yeah, maybe, because I think back to when I saw the original films or even the um, the prequels, and you, you would come out, well, I would come out of the cinema 
you know, maybe humming a theme or at least remembering bits of a theme. And for these first two films, and actually for Rogue One as well, but that wasn't John Williams, so I'm discounting that. I just haven't. Okay. Yeah, mm. no, that is that is fair. Anyway, uh, looking back to things fans might have enjoyed, I liked that in that opening space battle, although they had brought on these new ships, these bombers that we've never seen before, inside they were so World War Two inspired even with the way the uh the people in the bomb bays had the uh, oxygen masks on and stuff like you would have seen in world war ii bombers and i thought yes they've gone right back to the correct source for what the the fighters in this series are like they're based on world war ii fighters you know and the way the, the characters look and so on i thought yeah well done I certainly agree with that, and I thought all of that was very, very well done. I thought as well those bombers looked really uh, like logical advances of the B-Wing from the original movies. I thought that you know it was great that, okay, we had the references to the old Star Destroyers there because you know that technology would still be around, that would still be in use. But yeah, we've got the Dreadnoughts. So again, we're seeing technology go a little bit further. We're very much part of that original universe whilst naturally expanding that original universe. Mm. Yeah, now that was was very good. I'm looking at my notes here, Dave, and I think we've covered a hell of a lot about this film. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you particularly wanted to highlight? Uh, The only note that I've got left is three letters, and that is Hux. Okay. Talk to me about Donald Gleeson. Again, I just thought he was a very good character, and I really enjoyed his performance. I don't think he was nearly as integral to this movie as he was to Force Awakens, but I like him. I like the relationship he has with both Snoke and with Kylo. And I also like the way that there is this feeling, and, and I, draw, I reference here the Timothy Zahn books, the Heir to the Empire trilogy, where a big part of that was this idea that after the fall of the Emperor and the defeats by the rebels, the officer class of the Empire was lacking. You know, a lot of the best people had, you know, been killed or whatever. And so you had these younger or less experienced people promoted. And I thought Hux was a very good way of signaling that it occurred without saying it outright. This idea that, look, he's the best general they've got and he's, you know, not perfect by any stretch. He's younger. He's less experienced. He's very good at some points. Like they give him enough wins in the movie to make it credible that he is the general. Yeah, But they also give him enough mistakes to show that the Empire hasn't quite got what it used to have. Do you know, I think being younger also highlights that he could be more fanatical. Like an older Imperial guy might be more cynical, will have seen it all before, and just not as as fanatical as someone who's maybe raised in this environment and is just dead set down party lines and, you know, will do anything. The older guys might have not been as good. Maybe they tried them out and had to uh, get rid of them because they weren't as uh, effective as a more fanatical type. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And the, the way that he reacted to Snake's death as well wasn't just a case of, oh, well, the guy that was oppressing me is dead. It's like my supreme leader has been killed. Mm. Yeah, and that's part of that fanaticism, I think. Yeah. Now, Rob, whilst we've been talking, I've actually received an email. Live, as it Live. were. Live. <laughs> from, uh, from Richard, who saw the movie with me, and I mentioned we were doing this recording, and he's very kindly sent his thoughts. So, Hello, Richard. You're just in time. Literally just in time. So I'll read out the uh, Star Wars parts of the email live to him. I, I, don't, I don't even know what he said. We may have to edit this. Who knows? <laughs> uh, 
Hello, gentlemen. Hope this reaches you in time. Yes, with about 10 minutes to spare. <laughs> Just a short note about my experience with The Last Jedi. Overall, really enjoyed it, but probably a good to good plus rather than great. It looks awesome, and the story has some great changes of direction, although the Finn Rose Poe plot really went nowhere, and I found the casino sequence quite weak. I'm also assuming Benedicto del Toro is back in the next movie, otherwise his part felt a bit pointless. Still, there were the usual that's cool moments, a number of laughs, several nods to the original trilogy, plus of course Carrie Fisher and a very good story for Luke. Mark Hamill was one of the highlights. I can't say he wouldn't be in episode 9, but this one really felt like that last hurrah of the old guard. The scene with the kids and the spark of the resistance at the end made me wonder if the next movie might be set some years in the future, but I guess we'll see in a couple of years. It's certainly set up for a big conclusion. Well, I think I agree with everything he said there, and I'm glad that he highlighted that last scene with the kids. I thought that was a wonderful moment of the kids looking up at the sky, seeing the flash, and I just thought, that is a wonderful shot. That is Star Wars. Yeah, it was interesting to go back to that because I thought they were just throwaway kids that were there in those stables of those big horses. To then have a scene where the ensemble cast is all on screen and the music's playing, I thought, oh, here's our, here's our final scene. You know, it'll, it'll fade to the credits here. And then to go back and he's got the rebel ring and all of that. Yeah, there could be something to that. It was it was a different way to end the film, that's for sure, than on the big ensemble cast. It was, and I like that. Again, I love the idea that Ryan Johnson had a vision. He wanted to do Star Wars his way. There were plenty of homages. This definitely was a Star Wars movie. I was never in doubt there was a Star Wars movie. There were even some swipe transitions in there a few times. Mm. But it was his vision, and I think rather than just echoing the ending of all the other Star Wars movies... To have this lovely little different take, I thought was a really good thing. And that shows that Star Wars does, to me, have a future that is not just nostalgia. It's not just retreading the past. There is a way to do it differently. And I think we're going to see a real evolution and growth of Star Wars if they keep going down this path. So maybe I'm taking a huge amount out of a 45-second scene, but I really thought that said a lot and it meant a lot and I loved that ending. Okay. Are we ready to give scores? I've said all I have to say. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm ready. All right. Well, you kicked off proceedings because you saw the film first, so it's only fair that I, I go first here and uh, reveal my score. I have two because I think my thoughts are going to change when I see it again. My first score is 7.5 out of 10, which I think might become an 8 when I see it again and I just smooth over a few areas. I think it's a great film. It's a different film. It's it's dense. It has lots of threads going everywhere. It could have been half an hour shorter. It's not perfect, etc., etc. But it was fun. It was Star Wars. It was good. So seven and a half at the moment, maybe tending towards an eight in the future. I'm going to score this based on how I felt when I walked out of the cinema. And that's an eight and a half. Wow, that's high. It's it's not a perfect movie. There there are faults in it, and I certainly think the the, the space casino thread and the underutilization of Finn are going to be very consistent themes among reviews and among fans. I, I I've yet to have anybody sit there and defend those. Maybe I mean there'll there'll be people out there. I'm sure we'll hear about them, but I think that's going to be reasonably consistent. There were moments that were a little bit too studio-bound, but overall, I love this movie. I was engrossed in this movie. I love the way that it was filmed. 
I love the way it pulled the rug from under me. I loved Luke. I loved Kylo. I loved a lot of this movie. And look, I can't give it a 10 because it wasn't perfect, but I think eight and a half is very well deserved. I'll look forward to hearing what other people think. And that's where you guys come in. If you've been listening to this podcast and you have your own thoughts, why not reach us at hello at the dwshow.net or on Twitter at the DW Show or on Facebook forward slash the DW Show and let us know what you think and we'll include it in one of our uh, Doctor Who up- upcoming episodes, you know, as uh, some feedback at the end of, the, of that show. That's right. Speaking of which, we're going to be reassembling the team on, well, Boxing Day Australia time, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So we're going to uh, wake up bright and early on Boxing Day, watch the Christmas special, and give you another hot take review, Doctor Who show style. And that'll be out, hopefully, late Boxing Day our time. That's right. So if you're in the UK, you'll go to sleep on your Christmas Day, wake up to your Boxing Day, it will probably be out for your Boxing Day. So very exciting stuff. That's right. And only a week after that, on the 2nd of January, we'll be dropping our... Uh, Alternate Galaxies episode on Blake 7 on the 40th anniversary of the first episode being screened in the UK. Now, I'm quite looking forward to this, primarily because I'm not on it, so I don't know what you said. (laughs) You get to be a listener for this one, Rob. Anyway, Rob, it's been a lot of fun chatting about this movie with you. It has been. I I love this, where we don't know what the other one thinks, and then we start talking and, you know... It is. It is always great just to really thrash out these things with fans. I hope other people have enjoyed listening to it. I really am looking forward to hearing some feedback about whether people agree with both of us, with you, with me. Um, and as I say, I, I really enjoy movies. I'm, I'll be releasing my uh, top 50-something, depending on how many I see at the end of the year. So see where this one falls into my, my movies of the 2017. Interesting. Intriguing. Okay. <laughs> thank you, Dave, and thank you to you out there for listening. We will speak again soon. We will. <laughs>